0: It's the show where no one's listening, no one cares, and where every episode's the last episode. That's right, it's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. Today, our guest is comedy food writer, who also writes for The Takeout. His name is Dennis Lee. He's got a Substack where he eats ridiculous and disgusting food combinations called Food Is Stupid. But today... We're not going to talk about any of that. I mean, a little bit of that, but we're mostly going to talk about being independent creators here in this big old world. Sound interesting? It probably won't be. Hi. I went out the other night. I went to some weird bar with some dad who, like, was on a New York trip for work. And he was like, I want cocaine. I want cocaine. It's like a 38-year-old guy. What? With two children. He manifested cocaine. He asked the waiter at a restaurant. He wasn't even my friend. He was a friend of a friend. He somehow got it. I, of course, did not do it because... I don't do those things anymore. Not really related to him at all. His friend was also there. Again, people I don't know. I sit down with this guy. He used to work for New York Public Radio. He worked for Gawker. He wrote for a bunch of like hip things. And he also was a producer at a big media company. And then he lost his job. And he's not an independent creator because he was never like on-air talent. He was never um, writing. He was always like in support roles at these media companies. Mm Mm-hmm. But he still went through that path of working at a big media company to not. And so he's made a job of helping people who had big media company names. He works with one particular person who used to write for the New York Times like a food writer. And now she's an independent creator with like a YouTube channel, now a podcast. I'm sure you could guess who it is, but maybe it's best not to to protect this guy's anonymity.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, long story short, this guy has made a career of helping people who were like me, worked for a big media company, and then lost it and didn't have the following because the following was built into the big media company. Didn't have, like, directly the audience. They could just show up to work and have the audience of the big media company. And then transitioning their career to being independent creator creators. The example for me would be On Radio Now podcasting. The example for a food writer might be, you know... We're working for New York Times or Bon Appetit and then putting out your own shit, your own YouTube channel, whatever. Um, and he sat there drunk. I don't drink. His friend was high on cocaine. I wasn't. Neither was he. And lectured me for three hours, what the fuck am I going to do with my career? And I say all of this because I feel like you know this stuff firsthand. I know your story doesn't completely match.
1: No, we're trying the same thing, though. We're try- That's why we're... I mean, that's how you eventually got a hold of me was because I'm doing my own thing on the side, Mm -hmm. but that thing on the side was what we wanted to do for a living, you know, both of us. So it's, God, this hustle sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there I was when we first met working for a big media company, bragging about how cushy it was. I mean, the hours weren't cushy. I worked 14 hours a day. Right, right. Eventually, I need to stop talking about my old job because it's been almost a year since I lost
1: that job, Dennis. Has it really been that long? Because it feels like yesterday. I know. Wild. Dude, Our just time is moving by so fast. Wild, huh? Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm still doing appearances for a big media company, so it's like I'm still in the vortex of it all, but yeah, I don't have a stable full-time job. And I'm kind of maybe closing in on one, and I'm thinking maybe I don't want it.
1: Well, where like, is it just like another regular hosting gig or is it like,
0: yeah, another network, another gig, same shit, different pile. I hope that this show that I may or may not get, I'm still pretty far from getting it. I won't even know if I'm eligible for it in a month or two, but if I am eligible for this job, it's likely I'll get it. I hope. I mean, I, I can't know, but if it were a shorter show, I might do it. I'm just thinking another four hour late night show, five days a week. I don't know. I I, and I'm loving doing this podcast. Like I I didn't think I would, but being happy with the quality of it uh, is a bit. I'm letting it kind of intoxicate me to the point where I'm not promoting it. And so this guy lectured me. Here's what you need to do. And I won't get TikTok. I'm not getting TikTok, Dennis.
1: No, 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 no. I I refuse to do that. And but I'll do everything else. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, I still refuse to do that too. I. I just, I cannot, I can't deal with it, but I, I hate that it's necessary for a lot of people to do it, or at least they survive or get a different kind of audience that they wouldn't normally, you know, like a lot of younger kids who just like, who are, they're important, they're important to keep um, engaged. So, you know, cause they're the ones that may support you later as far as like, you have no idea.
0: Sidebar conversation here. I feel like you're a millennial like, well, you. I know you're a l- millennial like me, but I feel as though we didn't come for the Gen X like the Gen Z is coming for us.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Gen X is that they are also they also don't care. Yeah. You know, the whole slacker thing, it's just sort of like, why go after people who could give less of a shit when, you know, millennials have their their hackles up, they're you know, ready to fight, you know.
0: So we're tryhards, millennials, and that's why the Gen Zs, or as they say in Canada, the Gen Zs are coming for us.
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: But if the Gen As, the alphas, you know, the little tiny kids who are going to be on whatever their version of TikTok is, making fun of Gen Zs in 10 years, 15 years, I hope they come for Gen C's, like gen z's came for us i guess is all i'm saying
1: whatever they I, I could i could care less
0: they'll fucking deserve it but that when we talk tiktok that's that's i just like don't i hate the platform and so yeah it sucks i can't bear myself to create on it, it's like well i actually like opera but if i was a singer and i hated opera and someone's like you need to start singing opera to take your career seriously it's like no i'm not doing it
1: well, the other thing is it's kind of an insidious platform in the way it feeds you stuff and the way it keeps track of you, as far as I understand. I don't know. I don't really understand the machinations behind it. Yes. But it's it doesn't seem good. I just – I cannot – I get this really terrible feeling about it, and not as an old person kind of thing, but more as a tech consumer, you know? Like, we have to use this stuff, but, man – like, they just want to find a way for you to spend your money, like, but in, like, a, a really scary way.
0: And they're looking to grip you within 10 seconds, and they'll do everything to do it. But that same argument, like, we don't feel that Instagram or Facebook or whatever you're comfortable using, even using a fucking iPhone, like, we don't feel these things are, are overreaching and insidious. But compared to, like, a like a baby boomer looking at us, yeah, it's what's the difference okay instagram's not as bad as tiktok but it's the same idea and you have no issues with that so
1: right and they track the same stuff but exactly. it's more i feel like you know these new iterations just have a better sense of who you are as a you know what you're looking at and like trying to sell you that one plate yep. you know or the tool the kitchen tool that i always wanted you know and like figuring that out and then kind of piping it straight to my hand where I can see it on my phone, you know? It's like, I don't know. I feel
0: as though these young people are going to have to decide in in a few years how they want fundamentally their attention to function. Because if you're really engaged in this shit and you're pulling out your phone every 30 seconds and you can't engage with people in person, if you're applying that 10 seconds, I'm either interested or not, or swiping to the next thing, if you're applying that kind of attention span to your social interactions. Well, it's going to fundamentally shape the kind of people you're friends with. Yeah. The kind of job you can have, the kind of interactions you can have. And so eventually you got to say, okay, is this for me or not? And I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about the ways. Maybe people can compartmentalize it. Maybe they can act like human beings.
1: Well, so Davida's friends. Your fiance. Yeah. No, she's now my wife. Oh, fuck me. I wasn't
0: invited, Dennis. (laughs) Jesus. It
1: was at the end of July. Yes. And um, soon after that, you were trying to, Dig your way out of Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're the terminally online type, and she's talked about how awkward they feel in in terms of talking to real human beings. Yeah. And so, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it all all it takes is just like listening and talking back to what you, you know, like it's just a conversation. You don't have to be petrified every time you go to Seven Eleven and you get a Coke. You know, like, you shouldn't be scared of the cashier, like, saying hello to you, but that seems like something they have to navigate.
0: Well, I'm equally as scared as the cashier as I am to do a live performance. Like, I'm always at a 10 in terms of everything's painful and awkward, but I find staring at those people on TikTok awkward. Like, making eye contact with them as they look at their camera. Like, all I can picture is them with their selfie stick on the street and how awkward the whole scene of it looks Right. It's painful for me to watch these things. But okay, so back to the original thread of thinking, I won't do TikTok, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, it's fine. Another millennial complaining about TikTok. Real original there, David. I want to talk to you. Okay, there's a few things I was thinking. This show, believe it or not, I'm happy with. I don't think it's great, but I think it's adequate. And I have been a long format interviewer for, I did my first show in my own name in 2015. So eight years And I remember for years, everything I created sucked. And so the idea that what I'm creating now is actually adequate is a little intoxicating for me. And I've been letting that stop me because at the end of the day, the podcast's done. It's decent. That's enough. That's great. But that is not enough. And I want to talk to you about your Substack and the ways you're making money as an independent creator because I am behind you. Mm -hmm. And that's in and of itself a bit crushing. And and the things that people use to validate and and mark success, number of followers, number of subscribers, I'm not used to that because my background's in letting a big media do that for company do that for me.
1: Right, it's scary. It is really scary. There's a lot of cool things to talk about when it comes to that because I'm willing to talk about like all of it and money and all that, all that stuff. It's there's no I have no there's no um, border to the conversation. So we can talk about like all of it. If you want to record it, I'm fine with it.
0: Well, I don't need to know how much, I already know how much cash you make. We don't need to talk about
1: it on the show, but I, I don't know if that's valuable for other people to listen to just so that they feel better. I, like, well, maybe, you know, cause there's a lot of people who now this is part of the conversation we'll have, but you're right. So they're fracturing all of us, the way this media stuff works. So when Substack is just a medium, You know, for writers to go on and journalists and whoever to go on because they're all, they're all flocking to it because they're losing their jobs as like, you know, a journalist at a publication because the newspapers and stuff are going away. So what it's doing is it's putting us on these little islands and we're fighting for scraps. We have to convince people, like everyday people to give us 50 bucks a year or whatever money we determine is worth our time to put into it. And it's causing like war. Basically, just like people taking pot shots at each other. And, you know, you have to be different from the whole group in some way to get to convince people to open their wallets for for you, David. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the struggle and trying to, you know, there's different ways to propose that value to people. But it's like, you know, in the end, it's really a numbers game. And that's, you know, the bigger your audience, the more I mean, if 10 percent of them are willing to pay, like. You know that's ten percent of what for me it's uh, right now about forty five hundred people. Jesus. Yeah, last time we spoke, it was probably four thousand people. But there's ways to make that number grow that you and I have a fix on that a lot of people don't have, and it's our peers because we're in media. So if you get one of if if you get your friends to talk about you ever or like you know, and you, eventually what will happen is you know you probably know a fair amount of people who do well too some yeah some yeah some and just poke them just be like hey listen will you can we do something and then um that's all let's literally all and and every now and then it's really about that one home run yep because then it's it feels like an endless struggle but you always have to have something kind of ahead to promote you and it's not like you being annoying to them you know it's not like like it's not the pr approach where you get all those emails about just random stuff that has nothing to do with you just so they can get on your show or whatever. Like um, for my, my day job, I just get my email box. When I got back home from vacation was like 600 deep of just um, people just shilling their stuff, but like using a blanket approach that doesn't work really. You just have to go talk to the people, you know, who are, who are going to root for you or have you on the show and you know,
0: Yeah, there's a few threads of this, that uh, this man whose job is to take people like me and turn them into successful independent creators. And one is poking your friends and poking for people that have big followings. That's the single best way. There's something, again, a little painful about that for me because it feels like I'm exploiting these friends. But those friends that are close to me, I'll I'll, I'll name names. You're not going to know this guy, but he's a well-known Canadian guy and he's someone who's always advocated for me, mentored me, introduced me to people that could open doors for me. Um, His name's George Strombolopoulos. He's a Canadian broadcaster. He had a show with CBC, had a show on the Canadian version of MTV. He's now got a a show with Apple, like Apple Radio or whatever they're doing. I don't really understand what Apple's doing there. It seems like no one listens to it, but it's well-funded. I think they're trying to be like a loss leader for radio, but regardless, he's got a show on Apple Music or whatever you call it. And... He, when I lost my job, he's like, you need to be meeting people. You need to be, he's, and then I'm like, well, I feel bad about it. And then I took a photo with him and this other Canadian celebrity. And I'm like, I can't, sh- we're hanging out. And I'm like, I can't share that. He's like, yes, share it. I will retweet it. This guy will retweet it. Of course they did. But I, I like, can't bring myself to even ask him to be on my show. Cause I don't want to like exploit our friendship. And I just, this stuff is so painful for me, but I know I just have to do it. I know part of taking this seriously is just doing it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He would probably just say yes. I mean, it's not, it's he would say yes and he would be like, you know, and you you just be straightforward. You know, this is how many people listen and, um, you know, I'm doing this just because I have the freedom to do it. Otherwise, you know, at a different, let's say you're working at a radio show, there's that, you can't just be nimble at the radio show. You guys have to like, coordinate all this other stuff and then plan ahead with like what you'd ask him for the five minute interview or whatever this is just a chat and he knows more than anybody else it's just a conversation but you're the thing about you guys in your profession is that you've taken the art of the conversation and made it interesting you know you know what to talk about and what what to tease out the threads that you and i bring up you know which ones to pull at that are valuable to hear so I think it would be an awesome conversation. You just have to ask hey, hey, listen, do you have time to be on my show within this time frame? And that's it. That's literally it. My I have food writer friends that are stepping up to bat for me, um, and I I literally just asked, and they said yes. So to collaborate with them, yeah. So uh, I, this isn't public knowledge yet, um, but the you know the mo- um the food magazine Bon Appetit. Uh,
0: yeah, I've heard of it, Dennis.
1: Yeah. Um, So a freelancer approached me a while back because he likes to read my newsletter and he he said, hey, I'm going to pitch to them an article profiling you. Oh,
0: I need more shit like that. And I love getting press, but I I, let's finish what you want to say, because I want to talk about hustling for press in a
1: second. Right. I hadn't done anything. I literally hadn't. I haven't reached, I didn't reach out to this writer or anything. He's just like, we know each other, but it just through Twitter and like reading each other's stuff on a regular basis. But like, so I was just like, all right, this is never going to happen. Bon Appetit is like, you know, a prestige publication and what I do. And so eventually he got them to agree. Cause apparently everybody at Bon Appetit reads my shit and I didn't know. And, um, and so he just he just said, "Hey, listen, do you have any friends that um, are high profile that would talk to me about this?" And I got two of the, like the highest profile people I could find, and I just tapped them on the shoulder. I said, "Hey, would you be willing to talk to Adam for this piece? Because it would do me a lot of good." It hasn't come out yet, so and he he just filed it um, a week ago.
0: You're okay with this show and you talking about it and everything?
1: I, I think I I think I can because it's not out it's not out yet. So it like. But as far as I know, I mean, when a piece is green lit, it's really a matter of just getting it in the pipeline and having it out. I it could be months before it's out. And that's my guess.
0: Don't worry. This is the show where no one's listening and no one cares. So I'm not going to blow up your spot, Dennis.
1: Yeah, it's 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 fine. I mean, the thing's done like I have no more. I have no more input to it. And I didn't to begin with. It's his piece, you know, but um yeah my friend Kenji and my friend Helen Helen writes for I think the New Yorker or something like that um,
0: I've heard of that yeah that's 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 based out of here in New York
1: I think so yeah
0: I've heard of that one that
1: or is it Wichita maybe
0: it might have been Wichita yeah yeah yeah
1: <laughs> but they agreed to talk to this guy and they're about as big as it gets in what I do you know I'm like when it comes to the roster I'm kind of like on the D the D level. <laughs>
0: It's better than the F level, like me, Dennis.
1: Well, right, the F level would be like you know at like Instagram influencing, in my in my opinion. But
0: it's easy to shit on those people. But any kind of person that can make a living as an independent creator, I think, especially me with like my big media background, it's like very easy for me to shit on these people. But a big media company can't take it away from them, right? And I now I'm starting to realize that's that's admirable, no matter what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it's, it's the hits, you know, like this doesn't happen. This kind of thing only happens maybe once a year. So to make that number go up is really the goal. Cause every time I get on a podcast, you know, I was just on a big food podcast like a couple months ago. I saw that. Yeah. It, I just got like a hundred subscribers within, not paid ones, but like, like within day, like a day that day was just my inbox started filling up because I get alerts just, just to keep tabs on things. When there's spikes, you know, you, usually that there's tipping points. So, you know, the graph you get, you'll see the vert your numbers just going up and you want, you want them as straight up as possible. And, um, when you do that, it's just sort of. Grabbing more attention and more attention, and then um, at some point, I think it stabilizes as long as you're constant. Yeah, like you put up, you put out consistent stuff, people will support you. It's not a guarantee, obviously, especially when you're asking them for money. No, but again, like I said, it's a numbers game. So if you're if you're like at a hundred thousand readers or so, or listeners or whatever, it doesn't matter. And some of them, and this is where you ask them for money, like on Patreon or something like that, and they agree. I mean, when you think about it, that's that's just like, it's humbling.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Back to what this conversation I had, which is motivating everything about what we're talking about. It's like, poke your friends and poke people who have big followings to collaborate with you and then poke them to share it. Try to get press and then on my end, create social media shareables regularly. Um, those are the three things I'm not doing enough of into the fall, but particularly in the new year, I'm going to do because I need to either make a decision that am I leaning into being an independent creator? It's not one foot in the door. It's not I create it and it's good enough. The equivalent for you, you have a newsletter on Substack Substack, where you do food comedy writing. The equivalent for you is you write great articles that you're happy with and then that's it. It's not enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you do have to do that side hustle because or at least push a little bit. That's part of the job that you just never think about. Do you have anyone helping you? No, no. And so if I did, I think I would be in a much better place.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking of getting help because I've helped with the show, Danny, my producer. And it's it's not that just that she books things or comes up with ideas or send me, sends me things to talk about or, or helps me with feedback. It's like the support helps. You have a little culture around what you're doing. I guess that's a big loss in terms of commercial radio, like having a little culture around your show that's built in because people are salaried to work with you. and. That's something I'm missing, but you can create that as an independent creator.
1: Right. And that's, I think that would be the next step for me, but you have to pay the people who do that stuff for you. And you have to have, that means you have to have money coming in to pay them with. Yeah. And so that's, it's an investment that, you know, or you're not aware that may or may not, it may or may not pay off.
0: Yeah. Well, in my case, eating into my savings, but yeah, I had a decent enough salary with Bell Media that. I'm okay. Like I sort of see that money that they gave me. Some of it was to live and some of it was for me to invest in myself in the future. Otherwise what's, I mean, what is, if you're going to be an independent creator, you can't be in in the past. I've looked at it like I won't put a penny into my own work. Right. But now I'm not seeing it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, that's where I'm not past that part yet. <laughs>
0: it's a tough one.
1: Right. Right. I have friends that have offered to help me with some of that stuff, but Then how do you negotiate what you pay them? And this also, puts I've worked for for friends before. It it destroys your relationships. It doesn't matter how. Yeah, it does. It just destroys. It destroys like like the basics of the relationship. You shouldn't be stressed when you're speaking to somebody you love. You know, like you should because you know, like it. It just you're not friends anymore at that point
0: i've always with danny first of all i'm not paying you enough danny and i apologize for that but i'm not making anything with the show the other thing is my relationship with her was she was a producer at a media company that i worked at so it's always been a professional but I, i can see that it's okay this person's my friend they've always been my friend even though they're in my field i've never really worked with them in that kind of transactional relationship where right I can see why that would get sticky, but my relationship with the producer of this show is well. She was a producer for me on a commercial radio show, so I don't feel like there's a big risk. Like we've always had a good working relationship. We mm-hmm. now we're just doing it this way, but yeah, the money's coming out of my pocket, so it's a little different. I don't
1: know. Right. It's you know this is stuff I would like to navigate at some point, but with a full time day job, which I I will never not need. I think at this rate because you know um, if I did this full if I did write this newsletter full-time, it would cost a lot of money you know like to to save up for anything first of all and health insurance and all those things that that you know the, there's things that a large company does for you that you don't
0: well I'm lucky I'm on my girlfriend's health insurance
1: right like you couldn't afford to live. And so I just like, I need to sit and do the numbers part, but that's something I've been absolutely just never talented at. That's why you can talk to people who will help you figure out what those numbers are, which, which way to go to, but you have to pay those guys too.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I need to get a guy. The guy that gave me the lecture is not going to be my guy, but I need a guy for me. It's a little wilder, right? It's like, I, lo- I have no income. I lost a job. I'm I'm trying to do either. I'm at a crossroads. Do I try to get the equivalent of my old job, which I'm still open to. I think that'll always be there as an option if, if there's a job on offer. Right. But, or do I focus my time into leaning into this podcasting?
1: Right. So it depends on how much you're going to be paid and what the day job really entails in terms of stress and stuff. Fortunately, my day job at the takeout is great because, you know, I'm basically talking about food trends and whatnot. And then it's, then I'm done for the day. And then, um, you know, it's not the kind of job that stays stressful at home. Like, it doesn't have an overhang, um, and I've got unlimited uh, PTO. So when I do start feeling burned out, I can talk to my coworkers and be like, "Hey, can I get a day?" And as long as not everybody's on vacation that day, they're we're Gucci. Like, I can, I can. It's smooth sailing for me to get out of town for a day or like that's nice, right? Or if I want a full like weekend or a week or whatever, like, you know, just negotiate beforehand as long as it's not going to put too much stress on people and we're, we're good. So that's, you know, I have a job where I can do that. They don't want me like the management doesn't actually want us to take advantage of our PTO. They've been, they're starting to crack down on it.
0: Yeah. That's funny. That pay time off thing where it's like unlimited in tech, it's offered as a perk. Instead of getting two weeks, three weeks, whatever the number is, vacation, it's unlimited. But in practice, it's so hard to take because managers, are always they can always be like, well, now's not the best time. You can if you want. And then and there's all this weird, like, when can I... I actually have done both in my old career, and I actually preferred the set number of days because you take them, you're unplugged. There's no guilt; they're yours. You've earned them. The company can't, you know. Whereas with unlimited, you end up taking about the same amount of time as the standard, but you're always one foot in the door because you know you. It, or there's people who abuse it, um, there's, and then the underperformers can never really take it. It's a whole thing. There's I don't know if I think it's. On its face, it seems like a great perk, but in practice, I don't know. I'm not sure.
1: That's why I'm using it. You know, like I'm I'm using it because I'm not getting raises. I'm not. they told us openly that they can't can't and won't give us past the three percent raises that we get every year. That's built into our union contract. Ah. Without this protection, I would be in trouble for taking time off when I want it.
0: I've never had unlimited time off and the protection of a union. That's that actually seems like a really good mix.
1: Right. So, I mean, you know, my my employers are allowed to be grouchy about excessive time off from anybody because that just I can understand, you know, they're there to make content.
0: Yeah, they're as far as they're concerned, they're giving you as little as they can to get the most amount of work out of you, but that's capitalism.
1: If that's what they're offering, they should respect it. As long as we're not abusing it, that's fine. I don't think I'm abusing it. I, I'm using it when I need it. And sometimes that means longer stretches here or there or whatever, but I mean it it refreshes me and I don't work on those days off usually. Like I don't spend it on my newsletter like I could. Like I'm not I'm not doing it to work my second job, essentially, you know. I'm using it to feel good or recover, so.
0: Okay, back to the overarching narrative, me taking independent creating seriously, you being a hybrid independent creator and full-time job that isn't too stressful, isn't bleeding hours and hours and hours into your personal life, leaving space to become an independent creator. That was not my old job. My old job was way too much work to the point where it it took over my personal life in a way that was untenable. Um, There was always an expiration date on that job in my head and the truth is I lost the job not too far off from the expiration date. Yeah, that's good. So, but the thing when you're an independent creator that is considered success is like number of subscribers, number of followers, number of interactions, number. That stuff is really opaque when you work for a big media company. It doesn't affect your paycheck on the day to day. It doesn't affect how you're doing and you it's just a whole level of stress and hustling that you don't have to worry about. But As a result of not having to worry about it for me, now that I'm unemployed or I'm self employed, I suppose, I don't have those huge numbers and my peers do. And I feel the level of quality of my work because I got the experience anyway. I got the experience not having to be an independent creator. I feel like my level of work's there, but my number of subs, subscribers is not. And so when I look at that gap, it's, mortifying it's embarrassing it's how do you go from being able to create at a decently high quality i don't mean to sound arrogant whatever being able to create at the quality of someone with a lot of experience i'll say it that way um professional experience but then confronting the fact that there's no like the audience numbers aren't huge
1: it it feels first of all that feels like it's crushing. It feels terrible because you're like, and I'm sure it's never enough.
0: I'm sure if I had a million listeners, I'd be like, Oh, but there's people with 10 million. I'm sure it's never enough.
1: Right. Well, at that point though, you'd be self-sustaining, you know, like, right. So you could parlay that into a really good day job eventually, like at some, at, at a big network or whatever, but you'd also have to deal with the bullshit of bureaucracy and, you know, executives just being like, nah, I don't like what you're talking about. And you'd be like, you can't say fuck you because they're the ones that are giving you the the living.
0: Sorry to interrupt. I want to latch on to what you just said, self-sustaining. When you work for a big media company and you hop on the mic, in your case, when you work for a big media company and you start to write, what you are saying, implicit in... Okay, here's my article for Bon Appetit. Here's my article for uh, New York Times, you know, food. Or in my case, I'm here with the I Radio network, whatever. What you're saying in those first few words is I am a self-sustaining artist. But when you do it for a big media company, it's not on your own. It's off of someone else's. You're, you're, you're piggy banking them. When I hop on the bike now and I have a podcast, I can't say that anymore. Right. And that's like what is a bit crushing right now.
1: Yeah, well, just again, you know, talk to your friends who have had those, the the followers or anybody who's got a lot of social media following or you just be like, and I don't, you know, I make it seem like I talk to them every five days and like, put me on your blog or like, like, talk about me on Instagram or whatever. I only do that um, when there's a relevant thing to talk about you know and you know if there isn't that's okay or you could just cold cold send people emails or whatever but what real like the thing is we're both in media we have media friends we know the people behind the scenes and and you just right and you can't wait for things to happen to you i know that's the thing and that's what we want to do we we think that we're gonna we're gonna get a big following just by being good at our craft or whatever you call it But that doesn't, that's, that's never something that come that, you know, that the people who are super successful at it never told you about all the strings they're pulling behind the scenes, you know, or like their rich grandpa who knows somebody at this company who can talk about you, you know, like there's stuff, there's stuff behind the scenes that. Those successful people, like, just won't acknowledge.
0: Sure. Like, you look at the band The Strokes. Like, those were just rich kids whose fathers bought them their music careers, but then they made it work, and now they're great, you know?
1: Yeah, they're great. But, you know, they, yes, they're all rich rich kids, and, like...
0: There are people who are able to skip steps and basically buy their way into a career, and then once they do, maybe they become great. Maybe, you know... yeah. Uh, But yeah, and I know it's also incremental, right? You didn't get to 4,500. For example, I did a show with one of my regular contributors, Tony Five, a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And Tony had this crackpot idea to write our listeners letters, postcards. He's going to do it. And I just, I was reflecting on my time as a hobbyist before I left my career to be in radio and I was working in tech. If I had said strangers, I mean, I know these people may feel like they know me, but they're strangers to me. They're not my friends. They're, you know, but... I'm glad they're listening. I I feel a connection with my audience, but I, I don't know where they live. But back to the example, Tony was like, send me your address, we'll send you a postcard. If I had done that five years ago on my podcast as a hobbyist that no longer is findable on the internet, no one would have emailed me. But within hours of me releasing it, several people, and I was very thankful and grateful they did, were willing to send me their address. And especially this guy, Tony, who's a real loose cannon. He seems like he's either really friendly or he's going to come to your house and kill you. Don't worry, he's not going to do that, listeners. (laughs) I I guess I give that example is I know it's incremental. I know you go from sending out a newsletter to no one, to 100 people, to 500, to 1,000. And you can't look at it like I'm either self-sustaining or not. It's we're on a journey to becoming self-sustaining.
1: Yes. And you're, like you said, incremental is really the most important part. As long as you don't have a net loss by the end of the day per episode. And sometimes people will un, unsubscribe from my newsletter because I talked about penises too much. Or like, you know, or like, you know there, there's there's things that just people don't, they're not interested in. And that's not your fault, really. Like... Or unless you were trying to piss them off, that's one thing. But like, um, knowing that that might happen. But really, if your if your numbers are above the ones they were, the last time you checked, you're doing good. And like, and you know, graphs are nice because you can see those little bumps and stuff. And you'll see, there's no formula necessarily to see what works, really. Like, you know, just some things resonate with people more and they're unexpected ones. There's ideas that you'll come up with that you thought were really fucking dumb, but we're just like not as interesting and people just gravitate towards the things that you're not expecting. And that's awesome. And like once, once those numbers just go up, I, I do think there's like a snowball effect where it's like, you know, people are discovering you for the first time because of something big you did or like, you know, a podcast episode that did really well or whatever, and And those those events are are really what form you into somebody that um, I think people trust later. So
0: I haven't done an amazing job of capitalizing off those events. For example, in early September, I got some coverage by a pretty well-known literary magazine. I've talked about it on the show, but more about the what now let's talk about the capitalizing because that's a part of this job as uncomfortable as it is the Paris review wrote an article about some of the radio work we did at burning man. And I was heavily featured in the article. And some of the kind of crazy work I did was featured pretty intimately. Like my mother was mentioned in it because I involved my mother in some ridiculous work that I did on the radio. Mm -hmm. I confronted my mom about sex toys and my dad's ownership (laughs) of them, uh, claiming to have some sinister narrative that my dad is the gatekeeper of sex toys in their household Uh, to which my mom quit back the only reason I don't have access to the sex toys uh, which is to say they're on my dad's side of the bed in his drawers is because I don't understand technology I don't understand how on and off switches work this is all in the Paris review article right I was pretty proud but I I didn't do a good job of like sharing it reaching out to the author I need to do a better job of when these moments happen like capitalizing off them sharing them you, you know that kind of thing
1: Literally a thank you email goes a long way and it's like, you know. Oh
0: my God. See, I didn't even think about this stuff.
1: Right. Just a couple couple lines of just like, hey, listen, like, you know, this is your day. This is what you do for a living, but it makes a, a difference to mine. It makes a difference to me. It made me feel good and it showed people what I do. And, you know, like things like um, gratitude or reflecting uh, upon gratitude and telling people you're grateful for them to listen to read to respond to you to to interact with you like being grateful for them is really good and they're gonna be people are are attached they get attached to you that way and that's not like being manipulative necessarily like you want you get to know them too they'll tell you little things and like
0: the level of gratitude I have to the people who listen to the show I don't think I express enough
1: and ask people to share stuff. Ask them to share your podcast.
0: Okay, I'm asking anyone listening if you have friends who you think would be into this. Um, I I wanted to address like moments of of press and moments of uh, that you need to uh, capitalize on, I guess, or moments where people share your shit, and and those are those are moments that you're talking about are snowballing, but. Um, I also want to rewind to something you said where people unsubscribe to your newsletter because you talked about penises. Uh-huh. There is a wider question here, which I think speaks to how much of a hustler do you want to be? Do you want to beg for followers on TikTok or do you want to sit back and, and make your art great and not compromise? I think there's a balance there. But to me, there's a wider question. How uncompromising do you be with your voice, with your art? For you, it's writing. For me, it's this. Um, in the name of, Creating what you want to create and, and, and creating something that, that you think speaks to your voice um, or not offending people, lest they turn the radio off in my case, lest they unsubscribe in your in your case.
1: There's a balance, right? Not for me. I'm not, I'm not really the good example for balance in that case because I am relatively extreme in the, the things I say um, that a normal food writer would lose his job. saying. Yeah, they would lose their job based off of the things I say. They would be HR violations. They would be um, – you're never – like, we can't write or we can't post what you're saying in this piece, so we're going to have to cut all, all the fun stuff. Like, I don't care. I literally don't care. I do not give a shit. And I think that's what got attention that I didn't necessarily know I was going to get. I started my whole food writing career about running over steaks with my car to see if I could tenderize them um, – you know, tasting glue sticks, like all this stuff, because I hated what I was doing <laughs> for a for a living. I straight up hated it. Yeah. And I I was just like, you know what? Whatever. And so compromising, like I'm. People look at me like uh, an object of fascination, at least you know, with among food writers, because they're like, dude, you say things that I wish I could say, but I can't. How do you get away with it? And for me, it's like you do it for long enough. People just accept you for who you are, yeah, and expect this out of you, and enjoy the freedom that you're able to have. And you know, at while I do this, at the same time, I get, you know, uh, food and wine asked me to write a piece for them. Well, knowing I haven't accepted because I'm not sure if I'm feel like it. Um, but well, knowing what I do, they like they know I talk about eating bull dicks is like twelve different ways. They're like they and nobody knows what to do with me not one person knows what to do with me they don't know how to handle me or whatever cuz they know I can I can write like a really good piece about Chicago's hot dog scene but at the same time I can still be myself and not get and I, not get in trouble for for it and in the way that I set myself my own rules is just don't be a jerk that's the only rule I have never and when you are being a jerk punch up don't punch down don't hurt people don't deliberately try to ruin them unless they are terrible people which is in my in in that case you know if there's something to really be picked at because they're being hurtful fuck it go take the baseball bat out and just start swinging you know there's don't hold back yeah i but that's just been my approach and it's hurt me too
0: sure it's hurt me too dennis
1: yeah if it hurts you i mean but that's those are the risks you have to take and it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to play it safe Playing it safe means you're going to keep more people around, which is okay.
0: At the end of the day, I think playing it safe means you won't get anyone at all. Because playing it safe means not speaking to what your creative voice is. Like, if you're isolating people because you're doing something they find offensive, make sure it's worth it, I think is my point of view. Like, I don't mind talking about penises. And of course, I've done such worse shit with my show, um, both on commercial radio and not. But my theory is if I'm going to isolate him today over something that. I think speaks well to my voice. If not today, then it's going to happen tomorrow. And I've had people, you know, when I was doing radio for the network, there was a short number of people could text in and you could see the history of all their texts. Sometimes I would look at it and there would be people, not many, but two or three where they would be really engaged with what I was doing. They text, oh, I love this. That's funny. Do more of it. Why don't you do this next time? And occasionally, very occasionally, I would look at the history of these texts and some of them Maybe only two or three people. I would see from my early days of my show, they hated what I was doing to the point where they said, "If I'm still going to be on the air, they're not going to listen." They would, be the, they would be the texters who would send in vitriol. And over a year of hearing me, I would turn them. And so the lesson I took from that is, if I'm going to talk about penises, you know, to take your example, and people are going to say I'm not into that, you know, that's too out there. That I don't like that level of decorum. That's too inappropriate better get rid of them now than later. Better do what I want to do, get rid of them now cuz I'm just going to lose them tomorrow with something I do if I play it safe today.
1: Right, yes. They were they've always been on the precipice of leaving you. And, you know, and and that's that's okay because they wouldn't, you know, those aren't the people you want supporting you anyway, like they don't support you. That's not support. No. So, and that's fine. That is 100% okay. Like you, people are different and it's nice to know that you've got a specific type of audience, you know, as opposed to just a generalist sort of thing. Like you get, and then everybody ends up hating you like Jimmy Fallon, you know, like Jimmy Fallon's stuff is so inoffensive and so tame and so lame after a while, because he just like, he's just, it's clear. He's just trying to be a crowd pleaser by being um, bland, Mm -hmm. you know, but, and that, that has its benefits for a, a large, you know, audience.
0: But maybe being bland is his voice. Maybe not picking a lane, not having an opinion, laughing and giggling, no matter who
1: the guest is, is his voice. I don't believe that for, I don't believe that for a second. We all feel strongly about stuff.
0: Go with the hypothetical for a second. Uh That's his voice and he has isolated you and me. And his point of view is fine. I was always going to isolate those people anyway. You know, he's chosen his lane, which is not picking a fucking lane. And I don't like Jimmy Fallon. I like Letterman. I like Conan. Colbert doesn't speak to my voice, but whatever. He picks Elaine. And yeah, I just, Jimmy Fallon to me, I don't hate him. I don't like him. I don't care about him. And to me, that's the worst type of response to your work. I'd rather have someone say, it's not for me, but I see what he's doing, or I really like what he's doing, rather than, I don't care about this, you know?
1: Right, exactly. And that's, I I can't imagine, and in my mind, that's the sellout thing, is not, not being true to what your voice really is. Cause I don't, I don't believe for one second that is really Jimmy Fallon, Fallon up there. Like he's just, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, he did that to himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. It's, it's like, that's why I'm on, I don't compromise. I don't know if that you would take something away from, from, from that. You just have to decide how much, um, how, how small your audience might end up being if you don't, compromise you know like
0: I mean to me there's great artists out there who just didn't give a shit like Van Gogh like he didn't give I mean maybe he did give a shit but his audience was zero and he was uncompromising with his vision and the tragedy of it is we see it after his death but Mm -hmm. I think there's a balance but for me I err on the side of being uncompromising but I do reflect on some of the ways that I was uncompromising when I was still a hobbyist and I sort of laugh at them because I would you know I would really fixate on things that my work needs to be this way that now i'm like i don't i don't care if if i sell out in this one tiny regard i
1: i do totally, i get it hey I, I don't know it's we're always gonna have our own kind of um you know trepidation or, or like uncertainties about all this stuff and i think what we look at when we see people who are really successful at all that stuff we don't think that they ha- they have doubts about the quality of their work or, or whatever they, they do. I'm sure the nerves are even higher because the stakes are higher. You make, you make a mistake in that arena and it could cost you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because less people are following you because you said something really stupid, you know, or, you yeah, know, like,
0: but the thing is, I don't think I would ever get in trouble for a comment like that. Cause I like you always present myself as me. Right. I don't present myself any other way. So, like, I say shit that people get canceled for all the time. It's like Howard Stern. There's old videos that have resurfaced of Howard Stern in blackface. And people wonder, why isn't he taken down for that? Why is the Canadian prime minister, the Justin Trudeau, who danced around in blackface as a kid, like, why is this always coming up and always coming back to haunt him? But Howard Stern, no one bats an eyelash. It's because the prime minister of Canada presented himself as, like, totally the opposite of that. And Howard Stern has always presented himself as the most offensive person. But underneath it all, there's some heart. Underneath it all, he cares. Underneath it all, there's some really intimate interviewing skills where he talks to people on a level But, you know, that kind of stuff is just like boobs, tits, hookers, you know, little people getting naked on a show. Like that's always been a feature of Howard Stern. So you can't say he's presented himself any different. I'm not saying I present myself that way, but I'm just saying if we take your example of the article you're writing, you're saying they know that you write stuff about bull penises and they want to engage you anyway. If your article mentions a bull penis, they're not going to be upset. But if someone else's article who's never done that and they do like they might get in trouble for it and
1: right so like when you don't compromise that means you have a wild freedom a freedom that all these other people just don't have and that is exhilarating and it means every week that i write something i don't have restraints and as somebody who makes something creative the last thing you want is to be edited when you think you did something like really genius you know or that the quality of your work would suffer if somebody had ranged you in because it would it really would so i mean those are the risks you take is just losing people or losing their interest but it's also in a way like swinging your baseball bat for a homer yeah you're not you're not going to connect with everything but when you do the returns are insane they are incredible they're they make you feel good and it nets you more people who are listening and stuff
0: exactly you lost a few people talking about penises by being uncompromising with your work but the people you pick up along the way are really good they're people who get it who are interested in it and they're great people
1: and they'll stick around
0: and so there are people who are not into what I'm doing. Fine. I, I pick them up for a second. They hear something they don't like, I lose them. But the people I've picked up along the way, you listener out there, are like great people who like what I'm trying to do and get what I'm trying to do. And yeah, I, by being uncompromising, rather than being a Jimmy Fallon who never isolates anybody, but also never gets a strong opinion, uh, you know, you're, you're you're just kind of playing in the middle all the time and you have no voice.
1: Right. So... And you have to be willing to wait to. Like, how long can you wait without a job and see it like how this thing might, your podcast might sustain you?
0: About another year. Another, but about another year. And, and the idea of getting another job like this is a bit of a distraction. But yeah, that's about another year. And, but I'm also looking for a job like my old job at the same time.
1: Right. So I've been, I've been writing gonzo stuff about food for 10 years now, about, and, it's still not a full-time job. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I've been doing this since 2015 and it wasn't a full-time job for me up until 2021.
1: Okay. All right. So, so yes, like there's there, you have a lot of runway. It just doesn't matter. It just depends on how long you're willing to, to be crushed, I guess. Like, <laughs> and I, I think about changing my profession uh, every day, like just stopping all of it. So I could go do something a little bit more. Would you go back to working restaurants or what would you do? No, not a restaurant. I Man, like a, a different kind of office job where I would make more money, um, have a much.
0: I want to teach you how to code.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wish I wish I had that um, that capability of learning. Like it just it. I don't have that knack.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you say that because a lot of people are like, "Oh, I'll just teach myself to code and then I'll be a billionaire."
1: No, I tried. You know, I've tried. I've tried that in college. I tried to learn how to do computer science, and I just I failed miserably at it because I just I don't have. Um,
0: there are people who do that career switch. They teach themselves to code or they take a boot camp course or something. And then a month, six months later, they're working at Facebook, pulling in two, three hundred G's a year. But it's pretty rare and it's not for everyone. And not everyone is. Yeah.
1: And they had a natural aptitude in the background, probably to to be able to do stuff so rigorously or at least think logically or, or you know.
0: I met someone who was a nanny and then she took a boot camp course at one of these coding workshops and she immediately got a really high pay job, I think at Google. And I always thought she was this crazy example of wow, anyone can do it. But once I got to know her, She studied math at MIT and then was nannying because she like wanted to travel and do drugs and party. So when she decided she wanted to buckle down in her career, yes, she didn't know how to code, but this is someone who studied math, like coding was not a stretch. So I always use them as an example of anyone can do it. But then when I dug a little deeper, I'm like, okay, she, she had a knack for it.
1: Right. So you and I could easily jump to a PR job, uh, just dial it in, phone it in and make more money. Yeah because we already know the media people or we could you know god damn
0: i hate publicists I, I could never be a fucking i could never do that
1: but i think about the possibilities of just not doing that i fantasize about just canceling all all the newsletters and the um and the food writing and the hustle and stuff and i have watched my friends disappear and go do different to to different jobs where they make like two to three times more money than they, than they do now, you know, like at our heart, really, there's a lot of, we, we want attention. You and I want attention because it's our bread, it's our bread and butter.
0: Obviously. Yeah.
1: It eventually translates into some money, but it's trying to figure out like how you can get supported by people in that fashion, you know, because you have attention. It makes it also like, our jobs make us feel good.
0: Well, that's the thing. There's the attention and then there's the love of the work. Mm-hmm. It's nice to always fall back on the love of the work. Like if you didn't like writing, you'd be the craziest person I've ever met in my life. Like if you didn't like food and food writing, what you are doing right now is cert- fully certifiable. Like you should be in the madhouse. <laughs> Same here. I love the work and that's what makes dealing with all the shitty parts of this job as it, as both an independent career, creator trying to be self-employed and uh, a host at a, at, a, at a radio network. If you don't love that work and you are in it as a, as a career, you are batshit crazy. May, maybe in the 70s when radio actually paid, maybe you weren't crazy, you know? The attention is great. You need the attention. But one thing about working for a corporate over, overlord is you don't have to worry about the attention. That's built in. And you can focus on the work, but then they control your work. So it's it's give and take. Right now, I can focus on the work. I can do whatever I want, but then the audience is 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 the attention's not quite there.
1: Right, um, and you know you need you need to be validated. Like you know, people have to verify that you're doing a good job. And for us, it's you know numbers sometimes, or yeah, or um, shares on on a podcast episode that you can track or. Uh, you know, even if people aren't signing up for the newsletter, but they're sharing it a bunch, that's still a win in my, yeah. in my book, right? Absolutely. Cause then, you know, people know who you are for a split second longer or people who you've never, who have never been familiar with what you do are now they've, they know who David Cooper is just because of one, one person you talked to.
0: Well, thank you for putting it in your
1: newsletter, Dennis. <laughs> I do, by the way. You know I do.
0: I know you do, and I appreciate it. And I'm now—it's uncomfortable for me, but I'm bearing myself to poke you. Uh, give it a listen. Get you know, listen to it first. If it's if you don't want to share it, don't share it. But if you like it, please do.
1: I always share it. It doesn't matter. It's 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 you know we're we live in the same ecosystem.
0: We do. One interesting metric for me for you—it's subscribers with a podcast, not on all platforms, but with Spotify and Apple Podcasts or whatever the I used to iTunes. Who knows? I don't i use spotify but you can see not just number of downloads and streams but you can see the percentage of people who made it to the end And that number for me is steadily increasing. And that is a really exciting, great number that when I was a hobbyist and I had a podcast with like less than 100 people listening, um, that number was so steep. Like people would start it and five (laughs) minutes in they would tune off. So that's been a really rewarding number uh, to, to know that people are listening through to the end. I didn't realize that that's an important thing. But yeah, that's that was one. That's one cool that I've thing that I've been seeing steadily increase. Or people that consistently download everything and then consistently get through the end, mm-hmm. even if that number of growth is small. Seeing that grow over the weeks has been really rewarding. So that's a small thing.
1: Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's that's what you want. Yeah, that's really what, and then you know that that individual cares about what you're doing, and that's what you're seeking. You know.
0: This has been a good chat. I did try to bring you on to lecture me like that person who did that motivated this conversation. But I think leveling with each other and talking about it was probably a better thing to do.
1: Well, there's also people who are listening that are doing their own hustle, like, yeah. you know, say an Etsy store or...
0: a yeah, YouTube channel, whatever that hustle is. and And it could be a very, like, trade-based hustle. Maybe it's a plumber. Maybe it's a contractor who worked for you know, a big company and they, you know, like they got steady work, but now they're trying to go independent. I mean, these lessons surprisingly apply across the board. You know, a, one of this a book that I constantly reference on this show, it's Stephen Pressfield's book. I think his most popular one's called The War of Art, but there's a few others. And he references a, a Hindu text called the Bhagavad Gita. And it, it's talking a lot about work and ideas around work, your labor and the fruits of your labor, I often say, okay, you have a right to do the work. For me, it's do interviews, do a podcast. For you, it's do comedy food writing. But you don't have a right to the fruits of your labor, which is recognition, shares, subscribers, paid subscribers. Um, But when that book was written, it was literally talking – I mean, it was supposed to be metaphor, but it was talking about work. like It was talking about raising crops – And then the fruits of your labor is the success of your crops. You have a right to plant, but you don't have a right to the weather giving you the great conditions so that you have a a good harvest. And so we talk about these lessons as art makers, but it also could be a startup. You know, you have a right to do a little computer app, but you don't have a right to have success with it. And these lessons and these things that I struggle with are very similar to the struggles my friends go through with their very kind of corporate you know, or or really kind of capitalist flows where it's like, okay, I want to make an app. I want to be a independent, you know, drywall person, (laughs) whatever it is. So it is interesting to me how these things aren't just art making.
1: Right. And then you also, what we, you, you need to appreciate the fact that what we do is a public, a, a public job in a way. Like, so if, if I get mentioned in like a high profile publication and people see that, imagine your friends and family and all the people who have jobs where nobody appreciates them actively because you know, like nobody's going to give a librarian a shout out um, in the press unless they did something extraordinary. And when they do, you know, like, like that's amazing. And, but you and I are exposed to, to this all the time. And when we, we get validated in like a larger audience, you know, you, you can like, I uh, I broke the news that the Choco Taco was discontinued last year. Yes, and and seeing my name show up in the most unusual places, and people emailing me and calling me and texting me and just being like, "Wow, you made it to the news!" I'm like, I wrote the fucking news. <laughs> but <laughs> but like when we are successful, when we do hit a home run, we get public love that like a lot a lot of people will never get.
0: I got some at the end of August, beginning of September from the work I did during the rainstorm at Burning Man. And for me, it wasn't the people reaching out. It wasn't that I got recognized at a restaurant. Okay, which was wild for me. It was the, the first time that's ever happened. I, when I used to do stand up, I would see people on the street who had been to my shows, but that was like, yeah. okay, we'd seen each other in person. This is someone who recognized me for radio work. It was, of course, we spoke about this last time we met. We've been speaking about this now, grappling with losing the big media broadcasting job. In the article, this writer said, David Cooper, a professional broadcaster. And it was like validation, like, okay, I have that label, even though it feels like that label got taken away from me.
1: Right. It's still, it is still you. And uh, I mean, like, like there, there, people won't know how high you feel when you get those, those mentions and stuff in public. This is public record. Like uh, somebody, a comedian actually wrote a book called Raw Dog. It's by Jamie Loftus. And she's, um she name checked me. Nice. And I didn't know, I didn't even read the book. And then somebody sent me a picture of it and said, like, writer dennis lee about hot dogs like it was, it's always hot dogs about me like <laughs> like and i had no idea and when i saw that and i'm like you know none of my fucking friends get that like like they don't get mentions like that they don't like they don't show up in press they don't and so we have this thing where we can feel it we can literally feel the love and it's it's so incredible, and I like it's a luxury. It is that we're able to feel that, and to,
0: and we don't have a right to it, but it is lovely when it happens,
1: right? Because yeah, we're just people too, you know. Like I'm not actually that much more interesting than than you or than the, like you know my my family or for you know. No,
0: I'm as boring as fuck. You don't you don't even know what I do in my free time, Dennis. I'm like reading about computer programming shit. I'm a fucking nerd.
1: See, that's what I mean. Like, but we get. We get a disproportionate amount of attention because of the stuff we do for a living, and that is something that makes us feel great.
0: You more than me, but I, I get it.
1: It makes me it makes me feel good though. Like when like the higher profile is something that shows up, it's just like holy crap, and like nobody other, very few other people get get that attention.
0: Yeah, it's little things too, like when people you look up to notice you and believe in you. But these things happen in normal careers, but it's just yeah, it's it, the scale of it. In my old job, OK, someone at the company who's more senior than me, who doesn't know who I am, says I did a great job. I mean, these things happen in, in non-media, non-public facing people's lives. But
1: right. But doing it in public is just I think that's a whole different ballgame. Sure.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 completely. Dennis, I got to I got to end this because I got to make a call. But I feel like it's so abrupt at the same time.
1: Oh, that's all right. We you and I would probably chat for hours like if we even if we weren't you know, recording something we like you and I are just like that. I, I feel like you just, you got me at the right time. And we're going to go to
0: dinner when you're in New York or I'm in Chicago and you'll see how fucking boring I am, Dennis.
1: No, come on, man. Like it's, <laughs> it's, you know, there, there's some people you resonate with upon first contact with them. And then you just as long as you keep up the relationship and still talk to each other, I guarantee that we would just always be able to talk about this kind of stuff, you know, and it's, it's cause, I don't know. I don't know why. It's just like, it just works out sometimes. Kindred spirits. (laughs) Yeah. And you stick with it. You stick with each other. You stick with it. And you know, and then we pull each other up once. All right. I'll tell you what, one of us gets famous. When one of us does make it to the big time, we're pulling the other one up. That's all.
0: I think about this stuff a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. Like the people who in my life had no business pulling me up and did it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think about that and and how to give back and and how to how to help and and not see people who need who I, who I think are great but need a little help pulling up.
1: We all come up together.
0: Yeah, but not see them as like beneath you. You know, not not act the way that shitty people acted to you because they could.
1: No, you always pull people up. That's it's not a survival thing necessarily. You just bring your crew up you bring the crew up around you. It's the way in the food scene here in Chicago, when we cook and stuff for each other and do pop-ups or whatever, um, you go, you go support them or you like, you just, it's, it's, you bring up the crew around you and then you're, everybody does well. It's, it's possible. It really is possible. Just as long if you hype each other up, it's, it's amazing what you can do.
0: I know. And it's funny. I, one of the people who works with me on this show regularly, who worked with me at Bell Media, this guy named Dan Riskin, he's a science guy. And he used to be Craig Ferguson's science guy. I fucking loved Craig Ferguson. So, you know, like Letterman would bring on the kook with the animals and.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: He, it was like that. And, and he's got a. He hosted a national science TV show in Canada that I watched as a kid. He wasn't hosting it at the time. His predecessor was hosting it. But I looked up to this guy and I knew he worked with Craig Ferguson. And he was willing, is and was willing to do this show with me. And it feels like he's kind of like pulling me up, but whenever we talk about the show, he's like, I'll do it for free. When you start making money, you'll pay me. And when you become huge, will you take me with you? And it's just like, so maybe I'm humble bragging here. I don't know, but it's nice that like, he's an example of someone who has no business of working with me and does, and he believes in me. And he's saying to me, when, when you're ready and when it happens, bring me with you. And I just, yeah, I just, um, having those votes of confidence is, is one one of the ways in which this can be very rewarding. And I don't know, I'm tr- struggling to make a point here, but
1: yeah. No, just, it's literally just bring people with you. And, um and even if it's small successes, you know, have them on the show or whatever, just do just, it's, it's not that hard. And yeah, you know, like it, it, it makes the world around you better. And that's literally the, the, the least you can do. <laughs> you know, like, like don't leave this, don't leave your human, like the, your, your relationships, like, crumbling as you do well what the fuck that's so stupid like all right you got some cash what the what does that mean like i don't know
0: fucking bury it with you great you'll fucking die in a coffin with money great alone
1: no make every like yeah just make everybody around you happy it's not that hard
0: what's that tacky fucking book everyone references tuesdays with maury did you ever read that one
1: oh i never read it everybody told me to read it when i was like I don't wanna I wasn't a kid, probably like a teenager or col- in college or something. I never I never read it. Um it was like one of those like inspirational type books right
0: yeah and like one of the quotes was like it's not about what you were and it's like the people you meet along the way it's like yeah it's a guy dying it's this old professor dying of cancer and a student or whatever is like writing down the life lessons he learns and you know it's not about money it's about the human at the end when it's all set and done and you're fucking about to die it's about the relationships you built along the way
1: and i i mean i unfortunately believe it Like it's
0: easy to lose sight of as we struggle to pay our rent and as we struggle to get subscribers and as we struggle, you know, it's easy to forget, but yeah.
1: Right. I'm not going to, and there's people who take that like scorched earth approach too. And I, I will never support them. Yeah. Like I, I will just never, ever, ever support them because they weren't, they're not in it for a good reason. You know,
0: when I focus on what I feel I need to do, I always feel like I'm behind. I always feel like I didn't achieve enough. When I focus on the work that I'm doing, I'm content. And if I focus on the people I've built up along the way and the possibility of building up, like that these are the things that I think when when you're at the end of your career that really you'll look back and find rewarding. Not if you're a Hollywood star, not the biggest movie you ever did. It's like who you met, who you built up, you know, the relationships you made. I, I think that for me is what's so rewarding and the opportunity to build people up as I grow. It's like an exciting, motivating thing for me. Right now I have like very limited surface area to build people up. And
1: I mean, as long as we realize this early, which we have, I feel like, uh, I think it'll shape the way our, our careers go later. You know, it's like I've, I've seen people who have just worked super hard um, and alienated everybody along the way. And they fucked up their ecosystem by be- by by thinking that their version of success like meant something when everybody hates you yeah <laughs> like like that's there's no that's not a way to live like and now that you're successful at what you do and everybody hates you like what what did you really accomplish you didn't accomplish jack shit except for maybe a like a nice house which you live in
0: fuck that guy and it's always a guy i don't mean to be sexist or anything it's always a guy no
1: <laughs> it's always a guy and he's clearly living by himself and going burning through relationships and like like how's that
0: Shout out to Joe Rogan.
1: Yeah, (laughs) you did it, Joe. Like everybody hates you. You did it, Joey. Uh,
0: Yeah, I just, I remember I was really conflicted about hiring someone at my old, old, old job. She was someone who I was mentoring out of university and she got an interview with the company I was at and she did okay. And the director who was going to hire her was like, well, should we hire her or not? It's up to you. You mentored her, you know her. And I wanted to sort of stay out of it. I was sort of like, well, if... She qualifies for the job and you want her. We'll take her. If you don't, I'm going to stay out of this. I'm going to not be biased. But my boss basically said, you can't take that stance. Should we hire her or not? Yeah. And I was distraught about it because I thought, well, on the one end, if we hire her and she look and she ends up making me look bad, like how, how will this affect me? But on the other end, I feel like we should take a risk on her. And I don't actually know if she'll do a great job, but so many people have taken a risk on me in my career. And We ended up hiring her and she fucking, she's more senior at the company now than I was when I left. She is a fucking rock star. And it was one of those, I don't she doesn't even know that I had this dilemma of should we hire or not. I I sort of shielded her from that because she, I, I was her mentor, you know, and we had this mentee mentor relationship. And yes, I just saw the Seinfeld where they made fun of mentors and mentees. But I reflect on moments like this as like the highlights of my career, not the fucking code I wrote, not the promotions I got.
1: Right. And she deserved she deserved where she's at now.
0: I don't know that she did in that moment, but it was one of those moments where I. Well, you wouldn't have known. No, but I talk about these moments where people who have no business building me up, built me up. Um, this was a moment where I was that to someone else. And now, of course, I should have done it because she's a fucking better, smarter employee than me, but at that moment, I didn't know, and it would have made me look mad if we hired her and she was a <laughs> shit employee, and she ended up getting fired. But I was willing to take that risk. It was a small risk, let's be honest. And I feel great. like that's one of the things that I'm really proud of that and she like came out of pretty bad poverty. like she was in student debt, she was like helping her parents pay her mortgage. Like she did not come from wealth and these tech jobs are an access to basically an upgrading class. Like she's upper class now. She's probably making three, four, five hundred million $500 million a year. Sorry, 500,000. <laughs> <laughs> but like she paid off her parents' mortgage. I know I'm kind of bragging, but th- those are the moments that I reflect on of like where I Did well in my career, not did I get the promotion? Did I do the big project? Did the company go public? Those sort of things.
1: And you know what? Like you're those people who do better than you are to be valued too. Like they may always have been destined to do better than you in your own mind and whatever metric system you you set. And then that's okay. You can't blame yourself for not getting that career path or whatever. It's just like you bring people up. Yeah. Whether, where they end up, you have no idea. It's okay. It's not like.
0: You should be happy for those who, even if you build them up and they become more successful, and you, on your best day, you should be happy for that person, not jealous.
1: Yes. And so hopefully people will help us do that too. Yeah. It's not who we crawled over to get where we,
0: I've crawled over people to get where I am, not in radio, but in tech. Uh-huh. And I reflect on those moments, the exact opposite. Like you have to look at yourself in the mirror the day after you crawl over someone and get them fired or get them demoted or get their job or basically do the opposite of building people up and uh yeah I've, I've had moments like that in my life not many but you know i know i'm capable of it and i don't like that about myself and i don't know this conversation's drawing on i'm sure but uh <laughs> have you ever crawled over anyone to get where you are dennis
1: I- i'm usually the one that gets thrown under the bus <laughs> i think it's
0: I've done it once or twice. I haven't done it in the last ten years and I still have regrets.
1: Right. If well if I'm gonna stomp on somebody, they better deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I see it.
0: I guess you're a better person than me.
1: <laughs> There's plenty of people that deserve it, by the way. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dennis, thank you for doing the show.
1: Sure. It's always awesome talking to you. I like, you know, I hope people know that um the people you talk to and the relationships you have with them, like after talking to them is I think they're genuine, you know, like make the, the bonds you make with the people you talk to, I think are great. You mean like anyone or me specifically? Like talking to you specifically.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like friends with most of the people I work with on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. Like, you know, that, that means you're like, you're doing something right. You know?
0: Okay. Dennis, I'm going to go. You're going to go. Food is stupid is the name of the sub stack. That's correct.
1: <laughs>
0: There's your big plug. All right, thanks. For those who made it through hours of us talking. (laughs) See you soon, buddy.
1: All right, sounds good, man. I'll talk to you later.